Ayubhavan, Vanakkam, Assalamu Alaikum and welcome everyone to our newest podcast here at Roundtable Talk initiated by Yellow.org. I'm Menasha, your new host. And before we begin, let me introduce our very esteemed guest for this evening, Ms. Darini Priscilla. Darini is the editor at Bakamuna.lk and a program manager at Grassrooted Trust. She is an extremely talented individual who has gone around the country talking about issues like gender-based violence, cyber exploitation, and so much more. And we are so grateful that you could be here today, Darini, to talk about this very important issue of queer representation in mainstream media. So thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me. So Darini, um, as someone who is in the front lines of these issues on uh, representation in media, especially on the, in terms of the queer community, can you tell us what you are doing right now uh, in terms of this area? Sure. Um, one of the, I'm, I'm currently involved in two specific projects uh, with regard to this capacity. Uh, one was recently concluded, and it was an effort that um, I was involved in during COVID, uh, especially during the recent lockdowns, uh, which was to train um, individuals from the mainstream media, especially uh, Tamil and singular speakers on gender sensitivity. And this particular training, I have to say, was very, very uh, close to my heart because I've done a lot of trainings um, similar to this. But as you know, um, in Sri Lanka or in general, we tend to have a very limited or restricted understanding of gender uh, in that it, it's restricted to the binary uh, definition. So this particular training, uh, we opened it up to you know different um, gender identities, different sexual orientations. And I have to say like the participants uh, were in their late 40s, early 50s, late 30s. It was a very different generation. And I was very kind of hesitant to go in and talk yeah. to them about, you know, how do we be gender sensitive towards the LGBT community? But this is something I, I am continuously surprised by whenever I work in this field. People like to learn. People like learning new things. And we we have a tendency to think, okay, don't talk about LGBT stuff or don't talk about, you know, these controversial things because it will piss people off or people be uncomfortable. But it's the opposite. When people don't know things, they are either curious, they want to learn. Of course, it's not the same for everyone. Uh, but it was an excellent kind of experience where... You know, they. I, I even talked about asexuality and they were like, oh, teach us more about asexuality. What does that mean? You know, how is a person asexual? So it was very interesting to see how they learned about, you know, uh, to be gender sensitive, but also to be inclusive in their gender sensitivity. So that's one thing. Um, and another project that I'm involved in is to do um, a sort of a gender audit with different media outlets in Sri Lanka, uh, especially uh, with regard to print media. Uh, to see to what capacity they are practicing certain uh, gender inclusive practices to see, you know, uh, is their sense uh, of language that they use in their outlet, media outlet, gender sensitive, and, you know, how do they treat the, the workers, the employees in the organization. So that's one thing, a project that is ongoing. Um, it's also been quite eye opening and, and informative. So, yeah. Right. No, that's actually refreshing to hear. I didn't expect uh, the conversation to have shifted so much. So it's great that we're starting on that uh, positive, hopeful note that there is 
hope for print media and mass media to be more inclusive. And I, I just wanted to ask you of your opinions on how important is mass media when in, in terms of influencing society, in terms of changing the narratives of society itself, because we're seeing a lot of discrimination against the community. We're seeing a lot of hate, mm. a lot of violence. And um, how important do you think mass media is in terms of changing that narrative in our society? I think it's, it has a huge role, right? Because when we talk about gender itself, we have to understand that it's a social construct. Uh, and therefore it's built or influenced by various institutions within our communities. So obviously some of the, some of the most, the closest or the most important ones are family um, and you know, educational institutions like our schools and of course religion, things like that. They influence uh, how we understand gender, how we understand femininity or masculinity, how we understand relationships. But unfortunately, we have very little control over these things. We have very little control, unfortunately, about how our parents uh, understand gender or how our schools teach us about gender or how our religions perceive gender and you know sexuality and all of that. But media is definitely an institution that has a lot of influence on how we understand these things. And we do have control over that. Because even though right now we are talking about mass media, media in general is huge, right? It's, it has so many different types. Like we have social media, we have citizen media, we have print media. And every single part of it is controlled by the people because it's a product or service that is catered for the people. And therefore it has a huge responsibility and with that responsibility comes accountability. Um, because everything, a lot of the things that we learn about gender, about people, about relationships, it's it's influenced by media, but by the things that we consume. I mean, especially speaking from a very, uh, let's say Tamil background, as I, I'm a Tamil person and uh, speaking from a Tamil background, my childhood growing up uh, was influenced by Tamil movies. So until I was like 16, 17, I had no idea what being queer or, uh, you know, being gay or whatever meant because I was not exposed to a single movie that had like LGBT representation. Um, and then when I was 16, 17, peer pressure kicked in and I started watching all these English movies, English shows. Uh, I remember the very first show that I watched was Teen Wolf. And, um, you know, there was a gay character and I was like, oh, so this is a thing in media, like this is a thing in the world. Um, so I think, yeah, it, media, it, the thing is, there is a lot of responsibility there because it can either make things really bad or it can make things really good. It has a lot of power, like any anything in the world, it has a lot of power. It's whether we use that power in the right way or the wrong way. Um, and right now, in I know it's changing in a global level where the media is moving away from the binary. Uh, you know, there's more representation and there's more intersectionality and all of that. But if we take our local media, it's still, you know, kind of stuck in the past in the sense that um, even things like if you if you watch TV, if you if you take teledramas, if you take advertisements, they still rein, reinforce concepts of masculinity and femininity. Like if you take a take an advertisement about anything to do with the house chore or a product that is 
you know related to you know upkeeping your house like gas or cooking or washing or detergents or you know milk powder whatever yeah. all of that it will be advertised by focusing on a woman whereas if it's a product that is being you know if it's like a bike if it's like um something like a vehicle if it's something you know that is considered traditionally masculine it's a man that's advertising it so we see the media you know still kind of uh playing playing a big role in reinforcing our understanding of uh gender and relationships um so it definitely plays a big role and the reason why we need to kind of understand that is not just because it's making things worse but also we need it to make things better it's not like oh you're bad get out of here it's like no you need to learn you need to unlearn and you need to do better and that's why you need to be a part of this conversation so yeah exactly that that does make a lot of sense um back to the point that you talked about how when we were children uh, we didn't really have that experience because we didn't see a lot of representation um one of the things that i we have noticed through our research is that the queer community if they're represented in media specifically social media and such they are either used for comedy uh, comedic relief or as the butt of the joke and we've seen this in certain uh, music videos with very famous artists in sri lanka we have seen this in terms of memes which is a huge which is a huge cultural change in how memes affect us um so what do you what do you think uh, in terms of how toxic the stereotype is because we keep uh, especially with meme culture we keep uh, reinforcing it by mm. making memes making fun of certain politicians who are associated with the community we try we keep reinforcing it how how do how toxic do you think the stereotype is in terms of that aspect of it i think this to- toxicity it affects the people in the community in different ways right like for example the to- first of all we need to understand that this toxic uh, toxicity doesn't just affect the perception of the straight people about how they understand you know the lgbt community obviously like you know these stereotypes are reinforced they think all gay men are effeminate and all lesbian women are butch whatever but it also has a very very concerning impact on the lgbt community because these media whatever the content the memes all of it we are also people who are consuming it and it gives us even a bigger identity crisis than we have right now because we go through the question of okay what how exactly do i be gay i think that's a question we all go through at one point or another right um you figure first the crisis is am i gay or am i queer and then you figure that out and then the next question is how gay am i how what kind of gay am i um because you know there's no one right way to be queer or one right way to express your queerness or your gender identity and sexual orientation and all of that and media plays a these these stereotypes play a big role in that because sometimes they portray characters that are not queer enough and sometimes they portray characters that are too queer and all of that is influenced by the perception of the straight audience because i feel a lot of the content even the queer representation um, whether we are talking lo- locally or internationally a lot of the content that's created is catered to a straight 
cishet audience you know that's why you see any kind of queer movie or story is about coming out it's about people accepting them it's about people embracing them and the family supporting them not that it's a bad thing it's a very good thing but our identity as queer people is not limited to the part of coming out coming out is like one tiny bit of it right so these stereotypes about this is who we are this is what our struggles are um uh, it it creates a false perception about this community for people who are not queer as well as people who are queer and that's why i think a lot of these stories or a lot of these stereotypes and and in in whatever format whether it's a it's a meme or whether it's a tiktok whatever it is we have to be careful because what it does is creates an identity crisis for the person who's consuming uh consuming it and it's more often than not when it's a young queer person it's difficult right uh because it also creates a false sense of narrative as to this is what being queer means because that information that we consume the stereotypes that we consume is not paralleled by a comprehensive education curriculum it's not like we see something offensive or stereotypical on tiktok and we are confused and the next day we go to school and they're like oh no that's not what it is it's more inclusive you can be whoever you want it's not like we receive that so the information that we receive from media is not balanced by scientific accurate and inclusive information from schools or from family or from any other outlet so of course media is always going to be stereotypical media is always going to be problematic but the problem is not just that the problem is that we don't have anything to balance it we don't have uh, especially in the local languages right in the local context we don't have a lot of stuff to kind of deconstruct that information and to kind of be a little bit more introspective um so yeah i think i think those stereotypes can definitely be damaging and toxic um but it also brings the conversation of you know uh, sometimes it's not to say okay men shouldn't be portrayed in an, a gay men shouldn't be portrayed in an effeminate way right there are gay men who are effeminate it's about not restricting that identity to that stereotype and if a gay man says or if a queer woman you know a lesbian says this is who i am and therefore it's okay they are allowed to say that that's fine so because sometimes there i have to be very honest here there there are there's conflict within the queer community as to how queer people should be represented how how we should be represented and i think that that conversation needs to be a bit more constructive because as we know this community has a lot of intersections and therefore there are different people within this community who need to be represented um so even right now when i see um as you know there are some magazines or you know outlets news outlets whatever that have queer representation but that queer representation is often limited to a specific type of queer people uh queer people come, who come from a place of privilege queer people who come from a certain socio economic class um and therefore it tells a different type of story again it's not wrong it's not bad but it's restrictive it creates the wrong idea of what being queer is or creates a limited idea of what being you know queer so yeah that's something to think about i guess exactly um in fact um that's one of the questions that we had for you in terms of how media even when there is representation they try to box everyone into certain labels 
and uh, refuse to go beyond that. So there is definitely uh, a gap in understanding. Maybe may, uh, I may not be correct in saying this, but it seems like there is a gap between the understanding of the spectrum of sexuality and how journalists report it. And do you believe that any organization, for instance, your organization, can bridge this gap uh, between you know, true journalistic integrity and understanding the spectrum of sexuality and how anyone can be in that spectrum and still be part of the community at large? In short, yes, right? I mean, if you ask if I can do that, if I can do that in the content that I produce, yes. Individually, yes. If, if, it's, if I have control, like for example, in Bakamono, I have control over the content that I edit and publish and all of that, so definitely, yes. But the content or that representation or inclusivity should not be limited to Bakamono or myself or any organization because we cannot like this is a you know a tale as old as time we can't change it by just fixing one thing um because what happens is that even if you take my work or bakamono's work again it's limiting itself to a certain audience uh, for example not everyone knows about these outlets these pages or websites right it's limited to people who who are in the community people who talk about these things and therefore that's why mainstream media is extremely important because it reaches everyone it's not limited to people in the development sector or people in the conversation about gender and SRHR uh, things like radio or tv people consume it all types of people consume it people around the country consume it so I think they need to start kind of bridging that gap as well and I think they need to understand, and that's where that gender sensitivity training or those conversations come in and they're useful. They need to understand that it's not, that bridging the gap is not about making revolutionary changes. It's not about a news, you know, a channel, a TV channel or a print media going, oh, we support gay people or we are LGBT friendly. It's not that. There are so many ways to be inclusive. There are so many ways to create representation without, um, you know, being very open about it. And I'm saying that because I work with journalists and I've known that sometimes, especially when it's women, uh, women, interestingly enough, uh, when they do talk about inclusivity and equality, they become targets. And we know that that happens to a lot of journalists and activists, you know, when they talk about uh, LGBT stuff or even gender equality, they, they get a lot of hatred and harassment, especially in, in social media and online platforms. So I think people, if they want to bridge the gap, if it's something that they're interested in doing, they need to identify ways through which they can do that without making themselves a target, without you know, putting themselves in, in, in harm's way. And that's something we can all do. Um, because when it comes to creating a more inclusive society or more inclusive media representation, we all can't do the same thing. We, we all have different skills, we have all have different capacities, and we all have different levels of exposure. So it's about figuring out what is my capacity, and therefore, what can I do? So what I do from my end to have a more representative and a more inclusive um, media portrayal is not what you can do. So we need to be aware of that, because what we think is, 
oh they are doing something amazing and and you know so so um cool and that's just so out there and it's so confident and dangerous and adventurous and all of that and that's not something i can do because it might put me in danger but we have to understand we don't have to do what other people are doing let's think about what is within our capacity and how we can contribute to this conversation for example uh for for um, this is a again a positive thing um so i was recently involved with an organization that was working with uh, shakti fm which is uh which is a popular uh, radio station in um in the tamil community and we were doing some programs and some you know spots on gender equality and creating conversations about gender and we noticed that again it's a, it's a step in the positive direction in saying that they are having these conversations and they are airing these conversations but we noticed after like our talk after it aired uh, you know how they play songs in the radio and they started playing a song and it was extremely misogynistic right you know those sexy songs that objectify women and are just like it's it's basically harassment uh they played those songs and we were like bro no you can't have a woman talk about gender equality and then follow up with something that's like incredibly offensive um and they were like okay sorry we did that and the next time we did those programs they actually asked us what songs we would like to play they were like are there songs that Uh, not necessarily songs that you know glorify women per se but is this song because not everybody looks at everything through that lens you know because if, when we look at something we immediately kind of censor it to be uh, identified to be offensive or misogynistic or homophobic but the general population is not used to that because they are not used to seeing through that lens so we were given the opportunity to pick the content that we thought was respectful and not derogatory so that was something they could do very simple thing right they didn't have to go on and say we support the gay community the lgbt community uh they gave us the kind of autonomy to pick what you know the, the, that simple decision to allow us to pick songs for me that was a big deal um so i think that's what we need to do if we want to be inclusive and representative and all of that we need to be a bit more conscious about our capacity and how we can contribute right um absolutely that subtle differences make the subtle things that these channels do can make all the difference because it's the small things that hit uh, most ordinary folk it's uh, despite them not having the sensitivity towards certain objects uh, subjects of like lgbtq um small things can definitely change that perception of them um but on on that terms uh, i'd like to ask you the question of where did this um cultural shift happen with sri lanka and the anti lgbtq uh, sentiments that we have had because historically we are not a country that was ever against the lgbtq community mm-hmm. we have had kings who identified as uh, gay we have had a lot of stories even our religious uh, we have many religious stories uh, about the lgbtq community so where do you think that we lost that acceptance and started this anti lgbtq sentiment that has transformed into a, such a violent thing at the moment um i mean i could go on about this for hours but very simply uh, it's colonialism like come on <laughs> that's that's 
Oh, with everything AMG, comes back to that. Uh, yeah, everything. Yeah, everything comes back to that. I mean, even the law, Section three sixty five and three sixty five A, it's the colonial law. It's the Victorian law. It's it's not our law. It was given to us, or it was you know, uh, it became a part of our culture, part of our legal system during the colonial period. And now we are just they've repealed it. They've moved on, but we are just holding it on like the way we are holding on to many colonial values. Uh, so I think that's where it started, right? The fact that at, at one point during, during the whole, uh, you know, our history of colonialism, we kind of forgot our understanding of sexuality, our understanding of relationships. Um, and we adopted someone else's culture and we made it into our own. It's not wrong to you know adopt or adapt or evolve but we've kind of forgotten our roots and we've forgotten what our history means and i think um for me other than colonialism everything you know also another thing that contributes to all of this is education uh if you look at our history books if you look at our, our books on religion our books on art culture any subject none of these things are represented. All these books are catered to a very uh, westernized perspective of, you know, in a very post-colonial kind of uh, uh, way. And, you know, there's a nice uh, term that I've heard a lot of people use uh, when they talk about this, the fact that we kind of still have a Victorian hangover. Uh, the fact that we are just, we are still recovering, all of us, right? Even us. Because, um, I mean, look at us personally. I mean, I wouldn't speak for anyone else, but even myself. My expressions or my the way I express myself or understand myself as a queer person is incredibly influenced by Western culture. I mean, people know... Caitlyn Jenner more than they know Bhumi Harendran and that's messed up right that's really messed up like people uh, know more about uh, queer eye than they do about our history of these kings and queens that you mentioned because again media plays a huge role there because those kind of content it's mainstreamed and it's uh, it becomes popular viral whatever whereas our local culture it becomes I don't know, lost in history, lost in translation. Um, because right now we look at everything in an extremely heteronormative way. Um, and there's a tendency for people to think, you know, this is who we are. This is who we've always been. Uh, so that's why I think when we have conversations about uh, LGBT rights or equality or gender equality, it's important for us to go back to our roots and to decolonize the queer narrative and, and the narratives on gender equality. Uh, so I think definitely colonialism, education, media, all of it, it, it contributes to, to how we've kind of uh, created this false or misinterpretation of what it means to be queer. Right. On the lines of misinterpretation of being queer, what we have understood from basic observations of society in Sri Lanka is that, yes, we have this understanding that if you are part of the LGBTQ community, 
you are extremely sexually active, which is not um, necessarily mm. respected or accepted in, in the Sri Lankan community. Yeah. And so we, we have this narrative that if you're gay, then you are extremely sexually active. And that is what happened in the 80s with the HIV crisis. An entire community was mm. completely ignored because of a disease that they thought was only within that community. Um, so even now we have this idea and we see uh, certain channels on YouTube who have made it their whole purpose of the channel is to belittle and sexualize the community. And how do you think that affects people who are struggling with their sexual identity and would be considered to be extremely sexually active if they are to be identified with the community at all? So there is this narrative, a very false misconception of queer community. And how do you think that affects not just the community, but all of us, regardless of whether we are queer or not? Um, how do you think that affects yeah. us? Because I think that this conversation goes back to our misunderstanding or our inability to differentiate between different parts of our identities, like the inability to understand the gender identity and sexual orientation and commitment style. All of, all of those are different things. Like, for example, I could be um, a woman, somebody who identifies as a woman, but is queer and who is in a monogamous relationship. And there could be somebody who identifies as a man, uh, who is bisexual and is in a polyamorous relationship. And those are three different parts of his identity. But what we do is pick one and assume the rest, right? So for example, if there is a man who has a very feminine or even androgynous uh, gender expression, we assume their gender, um, not their gender, yeah, we assume their gender identity, we assume their sexual orientation, uh, we even assume their commitment uh, style. And that is a problem because though that, that misunderstanding is not limited to the uh, cishet community, right? Even just because you're queer, it doesn't mean you know your shit. I, I started, uh, even after I realized, you know, I, I'm queer, I didn't know shit. I, I had to educate myself. It took a long time for me to understand all these different labels, all these different identities. I'm still kind of figuring things out. And that's normal, right? And we need to normalize that. We need to normalize questioning our identities. It's not like you think, okay, I belong in this box and that's who I am, whether you're straight or gay or queer or whatever. People need to be allowed to reevaluate and rethink and be more introspective. Um, and that's not encouraged with this sexualization um, because we number one we have like you said we have a tendency to say yes if you're gay uh, you're you're more sexual you're more sexually active um, and that creates the fal false impression number one that you know gay people are sexually active too sexually active and also the false impression that you need to be gay to have a lot of sex no if you want to have a lot of sex please have a lot of sex as long as it's safe and consensual. I hope the parents who are not listening to this are not like trying to age me. But yeah, as long as it's safe and consensual, your sexual orientation is not part of this conversation. If your partner is willing, if you're willing, that's all that matters, right? It doesn't matter if you're a man or woman or however you identify. And also 
a, a huge kind of misconception towards the LGBT community is that they don't understand that romantic love or romantic attraction and sexual attraction are two different things. Right, you can be romantically attracted to, as a man, you can be romantically attracted to men and not be sexually attracted to them. That's fine. You can be sexually and romantically attracted to both and still have, um, you know, a very normal sex life where you don't feel like you have to have a lot of sex or you have to have like very little sex. I think this conversation is it, it's indicative of a huge issue in Sri Lanka, which is the misunderstanding of consent. As long as you understand, or if long as you are okay and your partner is okay, that's all that matters, right? So we, if, if somebody's having a lot of sex, regardless of who they are and what their orientation is, if it's consensual, then that's their private business. And something very interesting I've noticed in this sex, uh, sexualization of queer people is that we blame or accuse the men or those who identify as men in, in the LGBT community as having more sex or being you know, more sexual people, whereas we sexualize the women. So for example, if you take lesbians or queer women, they are sexualized by straight people all the time. If two men are kissing on screen, or in, in real life, it's disgusting. But if it's two women, it's suddenly sexy. Suddenly people are hooting and clapping and say, give me some more, right? So it's, again, how we perceive the LGBT community, it's, it's very, uh, for the lack of a better word, fucked up. Uh, it's very messed up because we are understanding their sexuality and their sexual preferences and how they express their sexuality in a way that is convenient for us, right? Uh, or they're spreading HIV, or that's convenient for me, so I can blame another community for this thing. Uh, or women are, lesbian women are so sexy, queer women are so sexy because it's arousing for me. So the sexualization of this community is completely, or for the most part, seems to be controlled by people who are not within the community. Again, media plays a role into that, a huge role into that. Um, and I think, again, because you mentioned HIV, a, a huge kind of contribution to this conversation is the fact that people are still uneducated or misinformed about how HIV works. Um, and again, media plays a role into that because the way we portray people living with HIV is still in the 1980s. We are still making movies about 1980s and how that how that affected the community, which is not bad. Yes, we need to educate ourselves. We need to look into our history, but there are not enough documentaries. There's not enough news articles or, or uh, visibility given to the astounding developments that has happened in, 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 in HIV, uh, especially with regard to treatment and medication and how it's possible to live a completely healthy, normal, long life as long as you're on, you know, antiretroviral therapy. So I think it, it is not only damaging and toxic for the queer community, these trends and these habits, it's also misleading because sexuality in general, sex in general is an extremely taboo topic as we know in Sri Lanka. And it's hard enough that we can't talk about it. So when, again, the information that we receive 
about these communities, about ourselves, about our identity is, you know, misleading or stereotypical or toxic or um, fetishized, it, it can be difficult, right? Because like I said, we have to deal with that shit without having an, a different kind of uh, outlet where we, we learn the opposite or we learn the right information, the scientific information. So yeah, it's messed up in conclusion. It is. And um, these sentiments, are, they, they, they keep on repeating these in mainstream media. So just wondering, freedom of speech aside, uh, clearly there's a lot of freedom of speech in terms of the amount of hate that's come across the LGBTQ community. Do you believe that we can initiate maybe legislative processes or legal processes uh, to regulate media? Because these misconceptions are clearly hurting the community and our, our understanding, uh, the, the straight audience's understanding of the queer community as well. So do you think the government should intervene and should create uh, protocols uh, legally or legislative, if not the government, maybe the courts um, to hold media outlets accountable for the damage that they are doing to the uh, narratives and uh, to the community as well? Um, I actually have a very kind of different take on this because of course, I 100% I agree that we need better laws. We always need better laws, right? Um, for example, 365, 365A, it needs to go. It needs to go. It's been there long enough. It's time it's done. It's dead. It needs to go. That's, that's not up for discussion. Um, but with regard to creating more laws or, or crea creating more, you know, uh, provisions to kind of regulate, monitor uh, media, I don't think it's necessary right now in the sense that our issue with our laws is not that there are no laws, it's the fact that it's not followed. It's the fact that it's not implemented. Um, and that is the case for any kind of law with rego regard to gender and sexuality, right? Um, so it's not necessarily about creating new laws. It's about making sure the existing laws are practiced. It's, it's to make sure that they are implemented and followed and people are held accountable for you know, not following them. Because as we know, number one, creating new laws and implementing new practices, is, it's not easy. It's going to take a long while. Um, and also, even if we do that, there is no point if people don't follow it, if people don't practice it. Uh, so I think a lot of effort needs to go into making sure these laws are number one understood, um, that they are not misunderstood, that they are understood and they are practiced and people who are in the right positions and authority make sure that they monitor the fact that these laws are you know, practiced and implemented in a, in a regular, regular basis. Because even if we take something like, so for example, if you, uh, look at our ethics for the, the, the Guild of Journalists, it's good. It's Of course, it needs an update, but it's good. If we practice what is there, we could improve from where we are right now. Right? So it's not like we don't have anything right now. We do have some things. We do have various things that are good. We are just not using them. And that's a huge 
kind of problem, not just in our country, even within the development sector, we have a lot of resources, especially in the recent kind of um, recent past over the take COVID during COVID, how many NGOs and organizations and all of these people in the sector, they created so many resources. Uh, I've been part of projects where, where they've created so many resources on gender sensitivity for journalists, for media, glossaries, this, that, all of that. But they're not followed. They're not disseminated. They're not distributed. They're not mainstream. Um, so I think that's kind of the first place to start. Make sure that we pick up all these resources, give it to the right people, and show them how to use it. It's not about making a document, making a law, and say, here, we made something, now be nice. No, we are not used to that. We are a culture of uh, people who've been spoon fed our entire lives, like, right? We have to do that. Um, and we, it starts with the education system again. So we need to make sure when we develop these laws or policies or practices or glossaries, whatever, we need to show people how to use it. We need to explain what is the benefit of using this? How is this going to change the narrative? How is this going to change you as a journalist, as a media practitioner? So here, use it. And these are the challenges that you might face when you use it. And these are some strategies to overcome those challenges. So it needs to be a very holistic practice. Uh, and that's what's lacking right now in our industry, media industry. So I think if we start there, we can make some really good difference. And then we move into, okay, now we are in a good place. Now we need better laws to balance this out. And then we work on the laws. Then we work on you know fixing the system. Understood. Uh, make that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, so Varini, uh, unfortunately, I would love to continue this conversation. This is extremely enlightening, um, but uh, unfortunately, we are running out of time. So, uh, for your closing remarks, what what can you say to the kids who are trying to join the community, who are questioning their identity, who see these stereotypes in media, who are influenced by media, and uh, what advice can you give them in terms of how the community is there for you, even though the media is showing a bad representation of it? Um, what can you say to these people who are feeling belittled by these representations from the media? Oh, oh my God, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> um, for anyone who's listening, I would say for the people from the community, um, Especially, number one, I think this cannot be said enough. There is no right or wrong way to be queer, uh, to be a part of this community. It's a, it's a community of misfits. And uh, it's a community of people who don't belong anywhere and everywhere, right? So wh however you perceive yourself, whoever you think you are, you belong here. There's no right or wrong way to be in order to identify yourself as a part of the LGBTQ community. So there's no need to fix yourself, alter yourself to what you see on TV, to what you see on magazines, whether it's the way your body looks, whether it's the way the length of your hair, the color of your hair, or the shade of lipstick you wear, or, oh, I rhymed there, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, or the clothes that you wear. Um, and of course, for the community as well as the media, Please be loud in telling your stories. Please tell your stories. 
um, and please allow queer people to tell their stories because right now what we have is other people telling queer people's stories uh, and we what we need to do is equip and encourage queer individuals to be content creators uh, give them the space give them the opportunities and give them the skills and equipments that they need so that they can create their stories and share it with the world so yeah i want to say be gay do crime but that's not that's not gonna set the tone but uh yeah i think just be yourself and don't restrict yourself to what you see in a screen look at yourself in the mirror and that's who you are and i think that's more than enough exactly that's so true thank you so much darini uh for giving us that message basically what we want to say is we're here we're queer um and we deserve the right to question if we want to question and we deserve the right to identify as whoever we are uh because that's an inherent right that we all deserve regardless of what media uh tells us to be or what representation we see in media we deserve to be here thank you so much darini for that amazing amazing conversation uh definitely learned a lot um and i really hope the audience will also learn a lot because this was an extraordinary conversation so thank you so so much for giving up your sunday for this uh, we really really appreciate it